0: You're listening to The Greek's Gridiron, live with Ethan Haristadoulou. All right, everyone. Good afternoon. My name is Ethan Haristadoulou. I am your host, as always. This is The Greek's Gridiron. It is April 5th, 2021, Monday. Uh, We have had a somewhat slow weekend for the NFL. I was talking to some friends yesterday about how I was planning for my show and there was really not a whole bunch I really wanted to discuss. Uh, I put together a few things that I thought were noteworthy to really kind of break down and just get into the nitty gritty about, but not a ton of any big breaking news or anything like that. So we'll jump right into it. As far as the show goes today, uh, we're looking at Uh, you know, some Jimmy G conversations, obviously the 49ers, their big move up to pick number three in the draft that has a lot of implications with the quarterbacking situation Um, outside of that. Justin Fields is another topic of discussion. There was a lot going on about him last week that seems to have kind of figured itself out now at this point. I didn't really understand the whole thing until it kind of got talked about more and more and things were clarified. And then um, we're going to also be discussing the Browns draft needs during this show as well. So decent amount of topics to talk about. And then there's like some other news we'll kind of just brush over at the end to just kind of knock out and get out of the way if you in case you missed it. So first things first that we'll discuss here. The San Francisco 49ers, they're hanging on to Jimmy G, or so they say, unless they are blown away by an offer. Well, they've set the market at a first-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. And now this kind of jumps into our question of the day. Should the 49ers actually hang on to Jimmy G? Who's his best fit? Or should they trade him away if he does get moved? So uh, now here's the deal. I'm in the the kind of position where when I look at that, they have a really good opportunity to have a young quarterback learn from somebody who's played in a Super Bowl. Uh, so I like the idea that San Francisco is at least selling the idea that they would be willing to sit on Jimmy Garoppolo for an entire year before they trade him. He has a no-trade clause in his deal. On top of that... Um, you know, and that's only for this next year. Uh, you know, there's a handful of quarterback needy teams that I don't think he'd be opposed to going to. I know that new England's probably a number one spot, but the, the real focus here, I guess is, you know, where are the 49ers with Jimmy G and what can they actually do with him? So to start things off, they keep saying they don't want to trade him. I don't buy that. I think that they're just they're just saving face. They want to keep his trade value high. And the reason I say that is because they have killed his trade value. I said it last week at best I would say he's probably a second round pick. Maybe a compens like a compens- Well, I can't say the word right now. Compensatory, wow. Compensatory second round pick that might become a first like if Jimmy G took the team to the playoffs. That's if he goes to like the Browns or the Patriots. That would probably be the like the comp kind of thing for that. Um they're claiming that they're giving him a chance to be a starter. Uh If they really want, you know, whoever they end up with, because it seems like, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going number one. A lot of people are, you know, in the same kind of position saying that Zach Wilson's probably going to go number two to the Jets. So that leaves Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. Um, So those three guys. I could realistically see sitting maybe for whether it's a year, half a season, six games, four games. If the thing, if things aren't going well in San Francisco and Jimmy G is the starter going into start week one. So, I could see this as a realistic possibility. I think that San Francisco would like to move Jimmy G if they can get more than what he's worth, but they're really trying to sell his first round pick worthiness by being like, Oh, you know, he's a great teacher for the backup and so on and so forth. Um, I think it's crazy. They're asking for a first round pick. I don't know if Jimmy G is worth that. I just really don't know. They traded, a second rounder for him. So I don't see how they could sit there and say, Oh, we want a first rounder for Jimmy G. You guys didn't even think he was worth a first round pick when you traded for him. He's played one full season in the three that he's been there for you guys. And he threw eight passes in that NFC championship game before they went to the Super Like, Like, and that's not something I like to hold against him, but you know, you have to play devil's advocate and like, look at the other side of things. Like, you can't just you can't just go out and say that we want this when like the compensation really isn't there like Jimmy G has looked solid do I think he's better than some of the starting quarterbacks currently in the league yeah of course would I say he is a top 10 quarterback probably not Jimmy G at best is probably within that like 15 to 20 range so to me is a is a is a first round pick worth a quarterback that's somewhere within that 15 to 20 range. He, he might not even be able to start an entire season for you. Like, no. Um, so I think ultimately he's probably going to end up being traded for a, like a comp second or at worst, if things get really bad, you know, let's say they hang on to him going through the season week eight, Jimmy G looks terrible. He's been benched. They'll get like a second or third round pick for him. And that's like no comp on the second. Um, I just, you know, I have a hard time buying Jimmy G for a first round. If I'm a buyer, that's not for me. Uh, As a seller, I can understand why they're saying that. But for me personally, I'm not buying Jimmy G for a first round. I don't think the Patriots should. I don't think the Bears should. Those are the two teams that are really kind of in there in that conversation. Um, There's also like the... The the other teams that are kind of, like, in the mix, I guess you could say Washington football team theoretically could be. The Broncos theoretically could be. They need a quarterback. A lot of people seem to think the Broncos might actually be, like, one legitimate quarterback away from getting themselves into playoff contention. Uh, The Panthers are another one. They were, you know, at one point their owner was really kind of, like, sucked into the idea of potentially landing Deshaun Watson. They were cutting people left and right. They have the cap room to bring in somebody like Jimmy G or Deshaun Watson with that 24 million in space they have or so somewhere within that ballpark. So um I mean as far as like the way this looks, he has a no trade clause for this season, but not the following season. So he has say in where he goes through this first year, but the next year following they can just trade him outright wherever they want to go now is it worth them waiting on trading him or not is kind of how you have to look at this so his dead cap money is 2.8 million that's literally nothing so that's not even like and and if they and if they wait if if money is really the thing that they're kind of like playing at here if that's even like a thought in their mind His dead money goes from 2.8 to 1.4 post-June 1st. So, I mean, if they wanted to wait till after the draft and then kind of see how anxious a team or two gets that thinks they're on the cusp of the playoffs but needs a quarterback, they could do that and save even more money and still maybe get a, a, you know, a decent second-round pick, maybe even the first they're looking for. Uh, But does it really help them to wait or does it hurt them? In my opinion... You know, it could really go either way, but I think it almost helps them because the more I thought about this, the more I think, okay, we're about to go through the draft. And initially how I looked at this, it was, you know, if you're sitting on Jimmy G post-draft and you decide not to move him, but you got your future guy, whoever that ends up being, you know, everyone else is going to kind of sort out their position needs as well, but there's still going to be a handful of teams that need a quarterback. Let's say the Patriots somehow, you know, with all the conversation that was spinning last week and we'll talk about this later, but you know, the whole Justin Fields thing and people questioning his work ethic, if that somehow forces him to drop down to the Pats, or like say they move up from 15 to 11 or 10 to steal him, you know, that takes out the Patriots. The bears are all over social media claiming Andy Dalton is the number one guy. I don't know how much I buy that. So, I mean, that kind of remains to be seen, but I mean, if the Pan- the Panthers aren't really in play to get a quarterback, um, the Broncos, I guess, c- could potentially, but they have a couple other needs they need to look at. So, you know, if they're not in love with somebody, I don't think they should take someone. Washington, they have Ryan Fitzpatrick, so whether they got someone like Jimmy G or not would really not matter to them because I think, honestly, Jimmy G and Ryan Fitzpatrick, as bizarre as this might sound, I would say are almost comparable in some ways more than other in terms of value, um, you know, it- Fitzpatrick was rolling last season Garoppolo wasn't even playing I mean the the Dolphins went 10 and 6 almost made the playoffs only because the AFC had a stacked group of 11 and 5 seeds or better you know did they not make it in so you know I think it does benefit them though because If the Bears are just doing this to kind of like pretend they don't necessarily want a quarter or like they're not looking for a quarterback, that kind of puts pressure. But at the same time, I don't think anyone buys that they're that sold on Andy Dalton. Uh, If the Broncos don't address the quarterback in the draft, they still need a quarterback. So and the same with the Panthers. Let's say Patriots take them out of the equation. We'll take Washington football out of the equation. The Bears, Panthers, and Broncos post draft could still very much want a quarterback. And if, you know, the Broncos really feel that they, you know, if they, let's say they go everything else, they fill the rest of their needs in the draft and they think, okay, if we have a quarterback, we literally could make the playoffs this year, at least as like the number seven or six seed. Maybe they're not going to win the division against, uh, you know, the Chiefs, but they could sneak into the playoffs, especially since they're expanded now. If the Broncos are really that desperate, they could trade the first rounder that San Francisco's looking for. So I think, in a sense, it almost benefits them, waiting it out a little bit, seeing who gets what going through the draft, and then if a team really gets antsy to, you know, maybe try to make that push in the playoffs, that's just on the outside looking in. They're like numbers fifteen and sixteen. You know, I could see it working out for San Francisco. I really do not believe that Jimmy G is a first round pick worthy quarterback uh, but in today's game you need a quarterback to be able to make it anywhere Jimmy was serviceable enough going through that playoff run into the Super Bowl to you know to help them get there so there's a possibility he does go for a first round pick I don't think he's worth it but at the, you know I think he's worth a second or third somewhere within that ballpark I don't want to say he's not worth going after I just I, a first round pick is a starter is somebody who can be on your team for the next seven to ten years if they pan out. I just have a hard time believing that Jimmy G is gonna make it that next seven to ten years. So in terms of value, you know, if somebody can offer him that comp second pick, that could become a first if they hit the playoffs, I think that's a pretty good deal for San Francisco to take. Especially if it's a team that, you know, could potentially just bottom out and have another terrible year and they offer that comp pick. I mean, even if you don't get the first rounder, let's say you get num picks number one through five in the second round, I mean, that's almost a first rounder at that point. So That's kind of how I look at the whole Jimmy G thing. I just, oh man, a first round pick is so much and I cannot believe that that's what they're looking for. I'm not sold on that at all, at all. Second or third at best. um, And, you know, late second round, late second round if it's a team that just kind of wants Jimmy G and isn't in love with Jimmy G. But that's kind of how I'm looking at the whole 49er situation. They are saving face though. I think that they, you know, they really do want to move Jimmy G they just they gave up a handful of first round picks. So it seems like they want to try to recoup one of those, which would be phenomenal on the GM side if they're able to pull that off. If they can trade all these picks, get a quarterback of the future and get another first round pick in return after finessing their way up to that third spot. I mean, my God, John Lynch is a mastermind over there. He's doing an awesome job in San Francisco. Uh, You know, he's he's collecting picks and doing a good job when he's trading away players and he's getting good value for him. So Hats off to him. You know, they're making some good moves. And even when they make the moves, the team still stays intact. If they have good quarterback play next year, San Francisco is going to be dangerous. That's for sure. Now, on the topic of quarterback situations, and I just kind of mentioned the whole Justin Fields thing, I want to talk about this because the whole Justin Fields thing was really bizarre to me and made no sense. It came out of nowhere. So I have no idea how this all went down. So last week... I'm watching Pat McAfee show, Uh, Dan Orlovsky comes on, he starts talking about how anonymous sources, and this is the key to the whole conversation, it's anonymous sources, people that won't put their name on these things, Uh, we're kind of essentially questioning his work ethic, you know, kind of like last guy in, first guy out type deal. That was crazy because up until I want to say like maybe a week or two ago, maybe three weeks ago, maybe a little bit further back, because it seems to be kind of slowly changing as these last few weeks have gone on. Justin Fields was the number two quarterback in this draft behind Trevor Lawrence. Like, that wasn't even the conversation. And now all of a sudden, Zach Wilson's jumping him. He's probably going to go number two now. Um, And then on top of that, the 49ers are are tied really hard to Mac Jones. Uh, You know, Trey Lance has been somebody else they've mentioned, but like, no Justin Fields talk. That is insane to me. Um it seems like it, it really just has to, I, I don't know what the issue is. I don't buy if you're going to sit here and just, you know, behind someone's back, not even give a name or anything like that or give a relation to the team, even if you're just like I'm a trainer on the team or, or I don't know, like something that has like a multiple pe- personnel in a staffing group, you know, you, if you want to like just throw something out there, the fact that it's just all anonymous sources, it, it sounds like BS to me. Maybe it's somebody that doesn't like Justin Fields or maybe he doesn't want you know, his team, pers- the team that he likes per se to go after Justin Fields, whatever the issues may be, maybe it's a racial thing. I've seen all, all the people talking about it. You know, whatever it is, I, it's, it's stupid because the production and what his coaches have come out and said do not match with these anonymous sources coming out here and saying stupid stuff like this. So like Ohio State, uh, one of Ohio State University's coach, Ryan Day, Super vocal about the comments. Here's a quote that I pulled from him specifically. I heard something about the last one to come in, first one to leave. First off, the scouts weren't in the building all year. Last one in every morning, almost every morning, or at least every morning. We could be in the building early. He's in with the assistant AD for football sports performance. uh, Mikey Mikey or Mickey? I want to say it's Mickey. Mickey Mariotti. That right there doesn't sound like somebody who's last one in, first one out. It, that, that's coming right from the coach, like, and then on, and he even says it himself he thinks that some people are just being a little bit reckless with their comments. Um, I agree. I, I don't know. Justin Fields just looks so good. His his throw from his pro day was awesome. His pro day altogether was awesome. I mean, and he's looked really good in college. I I just don't understand where this whole like you can't be at the top of the game like that and have questionable work ethic. And then I say that, but then there's somebody like Jamarcus Russell, but. Justin Fields is not showing signs like JaMarcus Russell did coming into the NFL that he was not going to pan out. At one point, like JaMarcus Russell was like 280 playing quarterback. Like but that was obvious that work ethic was, you know, very clearly not there. Justin Fields looks good. His pro day was awesome. I mean, you know, he's answered, you know, he's answering all the right questions like correctly and things like that. Like And then on top of that, even Orlovsky came out and said, you know, he wishes that he kind of gave context to it more because Orlovsky's he's a he's a Fields guy, and I've heard him talk about Justin Fields on ESPN. He's a Fields guy, and I think what it was is it just kind of got lost. And he's hearing like he's hearing the tidbits, and it kind of got blown out of proportion. I would say a little bit. I mean, even I when I heard, but I mean, when you hear something like that about uh, somebody who's probably a top five pick in the draft. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sound some bells, raise some alarms. And people are going to start, you know, questioning what the heck's going on and where this information is coming from. I am sold on Justin Field being a solid prospect in this draft. Whether he's going to pan out or any of the other prospects in this draft pan out, nobody knows. I do not think that questioning Justin Field's work ethic – makes any sense I mean he looked so good going through his pro day and and whether you want to argue that somebody just in shorts working out whatever he looked great he looked prepped for it and ready to go physically he looks really good I mean there's just no reason to to question his desire and work ethic right now and and I, I just I don't understand who would be going out of their way to say stuff like that about him I think it's a bunch of BS whatever the case may be Justin Fields, if he doesn't go in the top 10, I will be very shocked. And if he doesn't go in the top 10, someone's trading up at pick like 11 or 12 to take him. There's no way he slips far enough to make it halfway through the draft. And if he does, whatever team he falls to and, and he just lands in their lap, good on them. Take him if you need a quarterback. I mean, he has so much upside and potential. It would be absurd to just pass up on him because of some rumors of unnamed sources. Like, that would be ridiculous to me. Now, as we keep moving along in the show, what are we about? Like, almost 20 minutes in here. Good, good, good. So, as we move on to the show, um, like I had mentioned last week, we're going to be starting to talk about teams and their draft needs, things like that. I'm just going to pinpoint. I'm not going to talk every team, per se, um, but I'll go through the ones that are... That have very glaring needs, key pieces they could look to add to the team. Um, so today we're gonna kind of cover, or not kind of, we're gonna get real in depth here with the Cleveland Browns. They have um, like a, they have such a good position right now in the draft, you know, with the team needs and just like player personnel that's still available in free agency. So I really liked that, like just kind of the conversation. I think I I, I can get out of this. So let's just go over who they've lost. And these are just the notable players. It's not every single player that they've lost, but these are people that have played like 60% or more snaps on the team. They've lost Terrence Mitchell at cornerback safety, Andrew Sandejo linebacker, BJ Goodson edge rusher, Oliver Vernon safety, Carl Joseph and inside defensive lineman, Larry uh, Ogunjobi. So some, Pretty solid names for their team. They have made up for a fair amount of those players. They brought in cornerback Troy Hill from the Rams. He was a legitimate starter over there in... um. I, almost, I wanted to say St. Louis there for a second. I'm sorry, L.A. <laughs> uh, he was a legit corner over there in L.A. On top of that, they brought in their safety, John Johnson, as well. John Johnson, one of the better safeties in the league. This was a really good signing. So right out of the way, you kind of replace your two starters you lost with... I would argue... legit either just as good or legitimate upgrades. John Johnson's an upgrade at safety without a doubt. Um, Troy Hill, Terrence Mitchell. I would say Troy Hill's probably a little bit better as well. That secondary in LA was really, really good last year. He played really, really well on top of that. They were also able to pull in Anthony Walker at the linebacker position, which is a, is kind of something we're going to talk about in a few seconds here. But, Linebacker was a is a big need on the team. I think Anthony Walker, as a Colts fan, he played almost seventy percent of the snaps for them last year at outside. He's a really good linebacker. He's very good in pass coverage. He is a solid piece to start building in that linebacking room because the linebacker room in Cleveland is not good, and that's probably the number one position of need they have on the team. Now, as we go into like things that we're going to question positions of need, things like that. First thing I want to address is Odell Beckham. Do they need him? Should he be traded? You know, what are they kind of what are they what do they do with Odell Beckham? Because this is kind of a very large and looming question. He played seven games. He had twenty three catches, three hundred and nineteen yards, three touchdowns. Solid guy for the team. I mean, it, it's just unfortunate he hasn't been able to play and he hasn't been as impactful as he was when he was in New York. It's so crazy because as good as Cleveland was last year, you can you can look at the argue in two different ways. Like it's either they can be even better when he finally gets on the field and stays healthy, or they just don't need him. One of those two. And and it's crazy for me to even kind of like flirt with the idea that they don't need him. But there is a piece of me that sits here and thinks, okay, maybe Cleveland can just move on. Maybe they don't need Odell. Um, Odell wants to be there. It sounds like he wants to be there, but d- does Cleveland really need him? He, he's eating up like 15 million in cap space on the team. And they can't cut him because they'll get like 12, it's like 12 and a half or something like that million in dead money. But if they trade him, they're clear. They literally owe him nothing in the trade deal. So whoever takes him takes on his entire contract. So, you know, you find a wide receiver needy team still that maybe didn't fill the position. You flip him for, I would argue, Odell, even though with the injuries and whatnot, he's still a legitimate number one. I think the entire league still looks at him as one of the best wide receivers in the league. It's just one of those things where he's almost become expendable. And I love the idea of, man, how good would Cleveland be with Odell on there for 16 games, playing at full steam, no injuries, nothing. Like, he's just going. That makes me think that they would be even better than last year. And, And, like, the question is, is, oh... Could Cleveland have beaten the Chiefs last year in the playoffs had they had Odell Beckham, you know? Or did they just not need Odell? You know, that that's like, it's it's weird how you can keep, like, arguing the whole conversation. But, I mean, you know, do I think that they could get rid of him? Of course I do, because they played so well without him that, you know, you don't necessarily need him. But at the same time, man, just the potential of how good that offense is could and should be with Odell on the field, freeing up the other wide receivers. Um, trading him obviously adds another need to the position group because then Jarvis Landry is your lead guy. Um, that That's something you'll end up having to look at in the draft, or maybe there's a cheaper, you know, maybe just somebody you'd think that you could plug in to be like a number two or three guy that you could throw in from free agency. I don't really know who's left at wide receiver. There's not really a ton of guys. So, I mean, th- the... The Browns are in a really weird position with that. I don't really know what the best thing to do with that is because I'm on I'm so on the fence about that. I don't want to sit here and say that they should just let him go or that they should keep him because on the plus side, you have you end up getting a lot of money, or you could trade him for like another position in need on the defense. Like if there's a team that you know, maybe has a solid linebacker, but they really need to upgrade their wide receiver position if they're willing to swap players. I mean, you could really do a lot and fill something if you need to because you can argue that there's so many, not so many holes, but there's some solid holes on defense that they could flip Odell for because he didn't even play for them last year. And if the Ram- and if not the Rams, excuse me, if the Browns' defense is better, they beat the Chiefs in the playoffs. Or if their offense has Odell, maybe they outscore the Chiefs in the play. You know, it's like... It's a double-edged sword of how you want to argue that. So I'm going to leave that up to them. I like the prospect of either or. I think that they can win either way. It's just a matter of what like, what do they think is more important for them as a team. Outside of that, edge rusher is something that they kind of have been looking at. So the Cleveland Browns have brought in Jadavion Clowney a couple of times here for visits. He hasn't signed anything or joined the team officially, but they've been very interested in Jadavion Clowney for a while. He doesn't have the sacks, but he does bring the pressure and he does bring the threat on the edge. You pair him up with somebody like Miles Garrett, and I'm pretty sure I talked about this a while back, that's a legit threat on the edge there on both sides because whether Miles Garrett is still pulling in two people or maybe every now and again two people have to pull and cover on Jadeveon, like Clowney paired up with Garrett, that just that just screams success to me. Whether he can stay on the field is the other question, but if he stays healthy, you know, and he's eating up bodies on the offensive line, because, you know, Clowney, he can bring the pressure. You know, when he was paired with Watt and they were both healthy, they were quite a duo together. So Clowney, Garrett, I mean, Clowney, you're, you haven't signed anywhere. Nobody seems to really be digging for you. Go to somewhere like Cleveland have a solid year, sign a one year deal, get paired with Miles Garrett. You'll look great in the process if you play well. And then, you know, sign that big money deal you're looking for next year. I just, you know, I understand that players look for longevity, but, you know, oh man, and Clowney, the Browns, just has made so much sense to me for so long, and I still cannot believe they have not gotten that deal done. If they don't go Clowney, there's still players like Melvin Ingram and Justin Houston who are out there. Apparently, the Colts are still talking to Houston, uh, I believe. <clears throat> The Chargers are probably still having conversations with Melvin Ingram as well. But, I mean, those are two guys that Melvin Ingram went healthy, very good edge rusher. Justin Houston eight sacks last season. So you have two really good players there that can at least play second to Miles Garrett. Like, you don't need another legitimate threat. You can just have somebody who can, you know, get to the quarterback, cause pressure, maybe free things up for Miles Garrett, who is your lead edge rusher that's all you really need on the other side. You just need somebody who's solid, who can eat up a block or two every now and again to free up miles Garrett, to be in a one-on-one situation. And he's going to get to the quarterback more often than not. So that's kind of what I'm looking at as far as the free agency side of things goes for the Browns. If they are going to make any more moves there, they do have 13 million in cap space. So they have a solid, a solid amount of wiggle room with money to pull somebody in. If they really want to bring in someone, um, I think is somewhere where he wants like 14, 15, 16 million per year, a one-year deal on Cleveland, just you know, how they would divvy that out, I don't know, but I just don't see how they could manage a one-year deal paying him 13, 14, 15 with having only 13 million cap space. That's, the, that's probably what the issue is there. And someone like Justin Houston or Melvin Ingram, who can come in on a one- year prove it deal or whatever, would probably take less money. So that does make sense to me. Now, as far as the draft goes, when you're looking at who they could be targeting, um, linebacker is the biggest position of need. Interior defensive line is kind of another place I'm looking, and if they don't figure out the edge with free agency, um, you could always go draft in somebody you know in those later rounds. The draft isn't super super deep on edge rushers, but there are some solid guys that because offense seems to be going very heavy early in the draft it seems like we're going to have more defensive players playing or not playing i'm sorry excuse me available in those later rounds of the draft so linebacker 100 their position and need they need to go for in the draft this is where like if they don't target a linebacker in the draft in the first round what are you doing so players like notre dame's uh, jeremiah owusu koromoa is there uh zavin collins might be there from tulsa uh and then it, if if for whatever reason, and I don't know why they would do this, uh, should they fall or should he fall later in the draft? Texas is Joseph Ozai. He's projected between like rounds one and three. If he falls a little bit later, he could be a second round or a third round guy that they pull up. Jabril Cox from LSU another one. So there's some depth there at the linebacking position. They need to go linebacker in round number one, though, without a doubt. Round one. Linebacker, Whoever it ends up being, if it's any of those first two guys I mentioned, those are two solid players I could see go there. They need to go linebacker in the first round. Interior defensive line is something that I could see them doing maybe in like rounds two, three, four, something like that. And there's a handful of guys that are good for the later rounds here a uh, USC's Jay Tufa LA, uh, Florida States, Marvin Wilson, LSU's Neil Farrell. So there's a handful of guys that, in that w- but more than likely will be available in those second and third rounds where I think they could show up that interior D line. They do have Malik Jackson and Sheldon Richardson, obviously, but they're, you know, obviously approaching the later stages of their career. Sheldon Richardson has been around a long time. Malik Jackson isn't as dominant as he used to be a handful of years ago. So You know, aging veterans that are still solid and can hold it down in the interior defensive area, but getting younger, adding depth in that position, never a bad idea. And those those three guys, I think, very, very well would be available in rounds two and three. At least one of them should be to be able to shore up that position there. Um, I mean, when you look like Malik Jackson, he was only in on two sacks, a handful of tackles. I mean, not super productive anymore, but he still holds his own there. And he's he's only going to get older, so you might as well go and try to address that position now before it becomes a glaring position of need later on. Um, I have edge written here as well. Like I said, whether they pull into Devi and Clowney or maybe they go with some of the other guys that are still in free agency, there's still a decent amount of free agents that are on the edge out there that you could go after. Uh, If they don't go after them, two guys that I picked that are a little bit later that both have had six-plus sack seasons, um, and one of them even had nine sacks in a season, Wake Forest, Carlos Basham, and then Pittsburgh's Rashad Weaver. These are two guys that I think would be solid for them. They're later picks, developmental, rotational-type guys. They don't need to start day one. They did bring in Karis McKinley from Atlanta, who – depending on how he plays kind of determines how much of a position and need this is for them. So like if McKinley plays maybe like the first rounder, he was supposed to play as when Atlanta drafted him, this ends up being a non-issue and they don't even really need to target that. But obviously you don't find that out post-draft. So it just, I guess that kind of shakes out to how much are they depending on the edge position and to developing and being the player that, you know, Atlanta was hoping he would be. Um, again, the other side, whoever's lining up opposite of Miles Garrett does not need to be some legitimate edge rushing threat. Somebody who can eat up that extra blocker every now and again, produce pressure, like a guy that's in the four to six sack range that just calls for extra attention, that'll free up Miles Garrett to have, you know, a little less time being doubled up every single play. Um, but that's kind of how I'm I'm looking at the draft. I like Carlos Basham going to Cleveland. I think that would be a really good pick for them if he's available in rounds like 3 or so um within that like you know, day two type, you know, day two rounds. Maybe he's fourth round if he falls that far, which I don't think he will, but I really like Carlos Basham going to Cleveland. I think he would be a really good guy, especially if McKinley doesn't work out and they decide to drop him and Basham's looking good in practice and going through the preseason. Uh, I really like Basham going to Cleveland, but that's kind of how I look at the Cleveland Browns draft. Um, You know, again, all this is speculation, I'm not a Browns fan. I don't know the ins and outs of Cleveland, but from just everything that I looked into, this is kind of how I drew up Cleveland's draft myself. You know, they're in a really good position to kind of just reload and get going into this next season. As long as they hit on a few picks, you know, Cleveland is only going to get better going into next season. That's kind of how I look at it. They lost some players, but they brought in even better players, you know, and they don't really have a ton that they need to go after. And like, someone like Oliver Vernon, they lost him in free agency, lost him, but he's still available. They could theoretically bring him back on a cheaper deal. If that's something that, you know, ends up working out in their favor. So even some of the players that they lost, they could theoretically bring back in. I believe Larry Ogunjobi is still available as well. So, Strong possibility they even bring back some of the people they lost. But the Browns are looking good. I really like their draft odds. That, you know, they just need to hit on their picks. They've been looking really good the last couple of years. It's exciting to see the Browns finally do something in the AFC North. Tough division, obviously, but exciting to see the AFC North really starting to get competitive here now where you're looking at pretty much all four of these teams have a quarterback, have a solid unit. Uh, Pittsburgh is kind of on the outs with that now, which is weird to say, but it's, like, it's almost like a little torch passing is going on here because is Pittsburgh going to be as good as they were last year? Who knows? The Browns have a good opportunity to capitalize on that. Now, as far as other news, this is just kind of like other various things I picked up. I wasn't sure how long the show was going to run. We're at 34 minutes right now. So I I don't want to go super, super long, but just some other things that I think are notable and worth talking about with you guys today. Um, the Falcons are going to be playing in London in October of 2021. Um, the They're going to be playing at uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So they have agreed to be the team in this season to be playing in London. Um, The NFL is looking to really expand now, especially with the week uh, 18 now being a part of the 17-game season. The NFL really wants to get as many games internationally as possible to try to spread their reach. So they're going to be out there doing that. Tom Brady had a rookie card. Sell for $2.25 million, which is absolutely insane. I was actually just looking at something the other day and it was talking about Tom Brady and his longevity and just how long he's been around. Asante Samuel Jr., Asante Samuel Jr., is in this draft class. He is going to be in the NFL this coming season. Asante Samuel, his dad, was drafted three years after Tom Brady and played with him in the Patriots. That's absurd. Brady has been around so long. It's unbelievable. And I cannot believe that that's what we're talking about right now. That Asante Samuel, his former teammate's son, is now going to be in the league with him. Maybe not in the same team, but maybe playing on a defense against him. That's so bizarre, so crazy to me. Um, Outside of that, this came out today. Um, Daniel Jones, he's gathering his teammates. This is something I'm excited to see. Daniel Jones really taking the leadership role for the team in New York. Uh, He's bringing in... Pretty much all his wide receivers, tight ends, and some of the linemen to just run offensive drills. We're in April right now. There's nothing set in stone as far as preseason training camps and stuff like that is concerned. uh That's all stuff that's gonna have to be hashed out because it sounds like the NFLPA might want just a virtual offseason, while the owners and you know the teams and whatnot want in like in person. So that's going to be real interesting to see how that shakes out. But to see somebody like Daniel Jones, who's kind of in like a make or break it year, taking the initiative to pull out all of his players together and bring them out to somewhere like Arizona to just kind of, you know, start building chemistry and get ready to play. That's awesome. This is a make or break it year for the giants, in my opinion, at this point, um, you know, and I have some people that I know who are fans of the giants. If they don't hit 10 wins, nine wins, I mean, the season's kind of a failure this is this is kind of make or break here you bring in Kenny Galladay you know you bring in somebody like Kyle Rudolph to, to you know help Evan Ingram out with his development and hopefully you know take a little bit of pressure off in that position for him I mean that offense looks really good Saquon Barkley as long as he returns to form they need to work on that offensive line in the draft if they can hit on a good you know good guard you know to replace Zeitler The Giants are looking good. They're looking good. They need to hit on their draft picks, and this is a team that is a threat to win that NFC East. The Cowboys still got to figure out their defense. I don't care how much money you just threw at Dak Prescott, but, I mean, the Giants are looking real good. Washington, they're either at the same place or maybe slightly better than they were last year, depending on how you look at their signings. Um, I would say that Alex Smith and Ryan Fitzpatrick are comparable Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick might even have the edge on that. He was playing really good football last year, and if he plays just as good or better this year, they've got weapons. Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin. I mean, the offense looks good. Um, And then their running back, who I'm blanking on his name again, and I hate myself for doing that because this happened to me the other day when I was doing the show. Uh, You know, the the Washington football team's looking good. So the NFC East is going to be competitive, but the Giants do look like they have a very solid team, and they're like the most overall well-rounded unit. Um, and then on top of that, talking about the NFC East, Jalen Hurts is switching to number one, rather than wearing number two, uh, whether this is him just saying that I am the number one QB or what that has to do with all that. Um, don't really know the Eagles posted about it on their Instagram account and their Twitter account. So good on him for getting a number that he wanted to wear. Um, and that's pretty much it for the news again, slow weekend, not a ton going on, um, As we get closer to the draft, hopefully things start to heat up a little bit more. Maybe we get some more rumors coming out of the mill. Who knows what's going to be going on between now and the draft. I mean, we already had a big shakeup on the top end of the draft. Every mock draft is out the window because why would you do a mock draft three months out? I don't know. But um, at this point... We're starting to get a pretty decent idea on what teams are looking at. Uh, Barring any other wild trades to move some teams around in the draft, we kind of have an idea on what things are looking to be, at least within that first round or so. Uh, But that's pretty much it. I appreciate you all for joining me. As always, I am your host, Ethan Hrissadulu. This is the Greek's Gridiron remember to check us out on Facebook Twitter I have the Instagram page up now so you can find us on all the shows, socials and you know check on us there I'm um, bringing on two new people to the show hopefully starting this week um, my uh, he's been on the show a couple of times actually already Eli Bieberman he was here to talk about the Super Bowl and some NFL awards a few weeks ago he's going to be coming on regularly on top of that a good friend of mine nick cormier he's going to be joining the show as well we're going to be doing some non-live pre-recorded stuff to be sending out to you guys so we'll you'll be seeing more of us as opposed to just the monday and thursday uploads that we normally do i want to start pushing out more content and i didn't want to say anything about who it was or whatnot until i really got everything set in stone but you should be seeing that new content starting hopefully this week rolling into next week But I'm Nathan, everybody. Thank you all for watching. Have a good rest of your Monday.